Welcome to the Urantia Radio Podcast. Thank you for joining me. Our UrantiaRadio.net website doing well. Don't forget, all of our podcasts are posted there. Share with friends. We're also on Spotify, which is exciting, and iTunes. Uh, if you want to share the concepts of the Urantia book and you know someone who might be interested in learning a little bit more about things going on in our universe, uh, then please feel free to share with your friends. And we're doing real well. We're past the 51,000 download mark, and the audience is growing, and more and more people are interested, and I'm hearing from wonderful people. Um, and I'm going to share with you from paper 156, The Teachings of Jesus at Tyre, because it's, it's a little bit relevant to what we're talking about in the current life and how, how, um, how we integrate God into our life, even in the modern age. But first, I want to kind of follow up with you on the Cave of the Apocalypse. Remember in the last po- uh, podcast, we talked about John and the 24 elders, which was part of the revelation that he received when he was exiled on the island of Patmos. This paragraph, which describes the Cave of the Apocalypse, comes from Wikipedia. Don't know who the author was, but they ne- seem to have uh, their thumb on something, and it sounds eerily uh, similar to someone who may have been familiar with the Arantia book. So let me read it to you. I actually uh, signed up to change something because they had uh, they had mentioned that John was an apostle, or no, a, a disciple. And I wrote Wikipedia, and I said, no, 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 he wasn't a disciple. He was, a, he was an apostle. It was a big difference. Uh, and this is how they describe the cave of the apocalypse, which is where John received his revelation the revelation that appears in Scripture. From the earliest known times of Jesus Christ, there were passages in the Gospels that made it evident that Jesus himself believed that the apocalypse was to occur at some point in time. He pointed out to his disciples that there would be signs such as war and conflict when the world was on the verge of coming to an end. He also warned them all that these signs would take place during their lifetime before he was arrested and taken away. This idea of the apocalypse was serious for the early church when Jesus Christ died as they were left in panic of his final words. However, when he rose again on the third day, the apocalyptic portions of the text became discouraged as Christians believed their Savior had returned. After St. John of Patmos was sent to the island to serve his prison sentence and received his visions of the apocalypse, he sent his writings to the churches, which caused the fear and the possibility of the apocalypse to return in Christian religion. This change in Christian theology is now associated with the cave of the apocalypse, as it is the origin of St. John's visions and the location of the theological change. Now, that's an interesting statement, because what this author is saying is that the the idea of the second coming was factually stated, even corroborated by the Arantia book, in the eyes of the apostles and the teachers and the disciples, uh, when Christ died, they expected him to return within their lifetime. And so consequently, every age after that, Christians have expected that Christ would return. And I want to read from you now from the actual Urantia book, Uh, what Christ says about his return. And this is what he writes from paper 176. You behold me now in weakness and in the flesh, but when I return, 
it shall be with power and in the spirit. The eyes of flesh behold the Son of Man in the flesh, but only the eye of the Spirit will behold the Son of Man glorified by the Father and appearing on earth in his own name. But the times of the reappearing of the Son of Man are only known in the councils of paradise. Not even his angels of heaven know when this will occur. However, you should understand when this gospel of the kingdom shall have been proclaimed to all the world for the salvation of all peoples, and when the fullness of the age has come to pass, the Father will send you another dispensational bestowal, or else the Son of Man will return to adjudge the age. And now concerning the travail of Jerusalem, about which I have spoken to you, even this generation will not pass away until my words are fulfilled. And in other words, what he's saying is, I told you two things. I said I would come back, and I told you Jerusalem would be destroyed. You're going to see Jerusalem be destroyed, but that may not be when I'm going to return. They forgot the second part, and that's what Wikipedia is referring to. Even this generation will not pass away until my words are fulfilled, but concerning the times of the coming of again of the Son of Man, no one in heaven or on earth may presume to speak. But you should be wise regarding the ripening of an age. You should be alert to discern the signs of the times. You know when the fig trees show its tender branches and puts forth its leaves that summer is near. Likewise, when the world has passed through the long winter of material-mindedness and you discern the coming of the spiritual springtime of a new dispensation, should you know that the summertime of a new visitation draws near. But what is the significance of this teaching have to do with the coming of the Son of the sons of God? Do you not perceive that when each of you is called to lay down his life struggle and pass through the portal of death, you stand in the immediate presence of judgment, and that you are face to face with the facts of a new dispensation of service in the eternal plan of the infinite Father? What the whole world must face as a literal fact at the end of an age you as individuals must each most certainly face as a personal experience when you reach the end of your natural life and thereby pass on to be confronted with the conditions and demands inherent in the next revelation of the eternal progression of the Father's kingdom. So that's Jesus talking about when he's going to return, what to expect. He continues on 176, each generation of believers should tarry on their work in view of the possible return of the Son of Man, exactly as each individual believes, and by faith, once establishing yourself as a Son of God, nothing else matters as regards the surety of survival. But make no mistake, this survival faith is a living faith, and it increasingly manifests the fruits of that divine spirit which first inspired it in the human heart that you have once accepted the sonship of the heavenly kingdom will not save you in the face of the knowing and persistent rejection of those truths which have to do with the progressive spiritual fruit-bearing of the sons of God in the flesh. You who have been with me in the Father's business on earth can now even desert the kingdom if you find that you love not the way of the Father's service for mankind. As individuals, and as generations of believers, hear me while I speak a parable. 
there was a certain great man who, before starting out on a long journey to another country, called all his trusted servants before him and delivered into their hands all his goods. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and so on down through the entire group of honored stewards. To each he entrusted the goods according to their several abilities, and then he set out on his journey. When their Lord had departed, his servants set themselves at work to gain profits from the wealth from the wealth entrusted to them. Immediately, he who had received five talents began to trade with them, and very soon he made a profit of another five talents. In like manner, he who had received two talents soon had gained two more. And so did all of the servants make gains of their master, except him who received but one talent. He went away by himself and dug a hole in the earth, where he hid his Lord's money. Presently the Lord of those servants unexpectedly returned and called upon his stewards for a reckoning. And when they had all been called before their master, he who had received the five talents came forward with the money, which had been entrusted to him, and brought five additional talents, saying to the Lord, You gave me five talents to invest, and I am glad to present five other talents as my gain. And then the Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will now set you as steward over many. Enter forthwith into the joy of your Lord. And then he who had received the two talents came forward, saying, Lord, you have delivered into my hands two talents. Behold, I have gained these two other talents. And his Lord then said to him, Well done, good and faithful steward. You have also been faithful over a few things, and now I will set you over many. Enter you into the joy of your Lord. And then there came to the accounting he who had received the one talent. This servant came forward saying, Lord, I knew you and realized that you were a shrewd man and that you expected gains when you had not personally labored. Therefore I was afraid to risk aught of that which was entrusted to me. I safely hid your talent in the earth. Here it is. You now have what belongs to you. But his Lord answered, You are an indolent and slothful steward. By your own words you confess that you knew I would require of you an accounting with reasonable profit, such as your diligent fellow servants have this day rendered. Knowing this, you ought therefore to have at least put my money into the hands of the bankers, that on my return I might have received my own with interest. And then to the chief steward this Lord said, Take away this one talent from this unprofitable servant, and give it to him who has ten talents. And then finally from paper 176, or section 3, paragraph 5, quote, To everyone who has, more shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him who has not, even that which he has shall be taken away. You cannot stand still in the affairs of the eternal kingdom. My Father requires all his children to grow in grace and in knowledge of the truth. You who know these truths must yield the increase of the fruits of the Spirit and manifest a growing devotion to the unselfish service of your fellow servants. And remember that inasmuch as you minister to one of the least of my brethren, you have done this service to me. And then finally he says, And so should you go about the work of the Father's business, now and henceforth, even forevermore. Carry on until I come. In faithfulness do this 
which is entrusted to you. And thereby shall you be ready for the reckoning call of death. Having thus lived for the glory of the Father and the satisfaction of the Son, you shall enter with joy and exceedingly great pleasure into the eternal service of the everlasting kingdom. Now I look at that and I read it again through the lens of a Urantia book reader. Here's an interesting statement that he that Jesus made. He says, my, my father requires all his children to grow in grace and in knowledge of the truth. You who know these truths must yield the increase of the truths of the Spirit. So what Jesus is telling us is if we have access to a better understanding of the truth, and if the Father requires all of us to grow in grace, then it's incumbent upon us to share the truth with people and help them grow. Because just like that person who may be ignorant of the truth, you've got a situation where you're given the truth, you're given talents. Are you going to hold on to those truths? Are you going to keep those talents safe? Or are you going to do something to help it grow? Now, it may not be our obligation to go about and set a new church or, you know, go stand on a street corner and, and yell, your book, your book. But what it does mean is that we have to be active about trying to help people. It is in our, it's our devotion and our unselfish service that we can give the truth to other people and it will help them in their own truth discovery. That's what this podcast is about. That's what your Antia book is about. And it's great to be able to read the full text of Jesus's teachings, isn't it? Because I bet you if I read that in the Bible, it would be, what do they call that? Edited. The, uh, the edited version, the condensed version. But here he really explains not only why it's important that as stewards of the truth that we are expected, you know, he who has been given much is expected much. And this may be the first time where I've, I've been this assertive about it, but in, in light of all that's going on in the world and the fact that I think so many people are desperate, think about what's happening in the world today with young children. They're being taught that there's no such thing as truth and that they should go and find their own truth, and that they're allowed to have any truth that they want. Their minds are being filled with this sort of elastic version of, of temporal reality where you can bend it and shape it into anything that you want. In the Arantia book, it says that we have social duties. We have a cosmic duty of service. You know, a lot of what's happening in Western culture in my opinion, represents much of what the Lucifer Rebellion was all about. And maybe in the next couple of podcasts we'll get into the Lucifer Rebellion because we've never really touched on it. But he was of the same mind. There is no truth. You have unbridled liberty. You can do whatever you want. Why are you giving these people power over your lives? They can't do anything to you. And that's exactly what they're teaching in our schools today. I, every day I see something about empowering the children, empowering, you know, any subgroup you can pick. But that's not the attitude of the Arantia book, and that's certainly not the attitude. We have a cosmic obligation 
to duty, to serve others. There's going to be a, a really cool event coming up, and I want to get to it. It's the study summer session. Uh, the match event of Melchizedek, preserving truth and lighting the way for future revelations. It's going to be held at the Hilton Chicago at the Oak Brook Hills Resort and Conference Center. And it's going to take place in July. It's one month before the birth of Michael, July 21st. It'll give you an opportunity to meet fellow Urantia book readers. And they're going to examine the circumstances that led to the Machavinta Melchizedek bestowal and how his teachings uh, set the stage for Jesus to appear. And I'm sure that they will cover some of those things having to do with the sometime return of this one-time Melchizedek uh, son, who, by the way, who, who is the vicigerant planetary prince of our world. There's a lot of talk going on in the Urantia community about is Machavinta expected to return? So I'm sure that'll be, be coming up. They're also looking for presenters and volunteers. The gentleman you want to reach out to is Tim Duffy. And again, you can go online. You can find it through the Fellowship website. The Fellowship website, which is urantiabook.org. I really enjoyed uh, sharing with you. A lot of this has been on my mind. It's been a crazy week. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this, but Two days ago, I had my teeth pulled. I had some wisdom teeth pulled. And in order to get me through it, if you ever have to go through it, you know, what gave me great solace and allowed me to get through it was that I gave a lot of thanks to the Life Carrier Sons for designing such wonderful teeth. <laughs> it was a lot of work to get those teeth out of my mouth. And credit goes to the Life Carrier Sons and their designs on Edentia or Jerusalem. Uh, the Life Carrier Sons, uh, <laughs> a little bit of a diversion there. But uh, again, go on the website, urantiabook.org. And with that, I bid you a God bless, Godspeed, farewell, and we'll talk to you real soon again here on the Urantia Radio Podcast. People.